you know, Lord, what do I say today? And I thought long and hard, and, you know, I want to I wanna end as pastor talking to you about the things that I started talking about in the very beginning. And that is love. You can't go wrong when you talk about love, can you? So if you would, if you would just bear with me, I know that sometimes we're clock watchers and things of that nature, but please, this is my last time as pastor. I told my son I wanted to title the sermon things that I've always wanted to say, but <laughs> that could be the wrong connotation. Because then he said, well, Dad, next week, then I'll have to title my sermon, Damage Control. (laughs) So, let me talk to you today. I'll preach, but I'm going to talk to you about some things that I've learned over 42 years. 42 years of walking, talking, and listening to God. So I want to start off with 1 John, the third chapter, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, verses 16 through 24. And I'm going to go all over the place, and I told Andrea, I am so sorry that I have not given you scriptures, but I guess I get to do what I want. So it says this. John, that wonderful gospel that, or that wonderful apostle that leaned on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper, was the one who he looked at from the cross and said, Son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote these three epistles, first, second, third, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. But he says this in his first letter. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandment remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. 
you make a title slide today? What did, you, what did I tell you to make? Is it there? The things I've learned along the way. Well, let me add to that because you're going to hear me quote a song. Some things that we do. Something that we do. So look at a person next to you and say, it's something that we do. Sorry, I changed that. You may be seated. Thank you for the intro. Say this after me. Diptera mucidae. Say it again. Diptera mucidae. Does anybody know what that is? Good. You know what that is? That's the common house fly. That ever-present insect that can spread disease and contaminate food. You know, at the picnics, they land on your food. You don't know what they're doing because they're so small, but they're laughing at you. <laughs> Over 700 varieties of diptera exist. House flies, dump flies, dung flies, the Mediterranean oriental fruit flies, Sand flies, cluster flies, robber flies, stiletto flies, flesh flies, and biting midgets. That's just to name a few. They don't live very long. Does anybody know how long the typical fly lives? 20 days in adult stage. Adults of Many species bite or passively vector pathogens for diseases such as typhoid fever, dysentery, anthrax, and African sleeping sickness, which I think a lot of our teenagers get. <laughs> you worry they probably got bit by a fly. But that's really not why scientists at the Marine Science Laboratory in North Wales are studying them. Flies do something else besides mate, contaminate food, and irritate us. They walk on ceilings. How do they do that? Scientists would like to know why and how they can do that very thing. What keeps them on the ceiling defying gravity when they should be spinning off and falling into our soup or salad. So these scholars are the world's most knowledgeable experts in the field of, here's another word, zygology. The science of joining things together. And it's named from the Greek word yoke. So, think about it. 
rivets, nails, screws, welds, threads play a large part in that word zygology in our world. It keeps roofs over our head, clothes on our back, and where would we be without adhesives? Huh? Guys, duct tape. You can fix anything. Scotch tape, post-it notes. The science of adhesive is rather obscure, to be sure, but oddly interesting, and it raises a question of what binds and joins the church community together. You've got to wonder, what's the zygology of the church? Think about it. I just read something to you that John was talking about, and everything seems to be falling apart in this world. Would you not agree? So, what keeps us unstuck from one another and from Jesus? Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's a crazy thing that if we say that we're Christians, why is it that there's so much fussing, fighting, fuming? If we read the same red letters, if we understand what Jesus said, why is it that this zygology is not working? According to Jesus, the mark of a Christian is love. And so you've got to just sit here just for a moment and let that really truly sink in. Love is the most significant attribute Christians can offer this world. But first of all, we need to love one another. I'm not talking about liberals. I'm not talking about professors in colleges. I'm quoting Jesus Christ. He said, as we've all sung so many times, bind us together with love. Love is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. There is an old country song by a man named Clint Black. And I know sometimes people don't like when you read things like this, but I want to read the lyrics to this song. Listen to me. It's something that we do. That's the name of the song. It goes like this. I remember well the day we wed. I can see the picture in my head. I still believe the words we said forever will ring true. Love is certain, love is kind, love is yours, and love is mine. But it isn't something that we find, it's something that we do. 
It's holding tight, letting go. It's flying high and laying low. Let your strongest feelings show and your weakness too. It's a little and a lot to ask, an endless and a welcome task. Love isn't something that we have. It's something that we do. We help to make each other all that we can be, though we can find our strength and inspiration independently. The way we work together is what seals our love, sets our love apart so closely that you can't tell where I end and where you start. It gives me heart remembering how we started with a simple vow. There's so much to look back on now. Still it feels brand new. We're on a road that has no end, and each day we begin again. Love's not just something that we're in. It's something that we do. You know, I sat on the chair this morning. My wife was there, and I said, let me play this song for you. And you know, all these feelings, these nostalgic things went through me, but truly love is how living words started. That's how it started. When thinking of a name, sat with my wife and maybe one other person, but really we came up with it, we said, living word. Why? Because we have to live the word. And living the word means... We love. I don't know where Clint Black got the inspiration for this song. Well, yet then again, I do. Maybe it came from 1 John, what I just read. And John teaches that love is an action more than a feeling. He challenges us. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So, I read to you that if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God truly be in them? A tombstone cutter was busily engaged in his shop when his friend dropped in for a visit. The friend, while looking about the shop, noticed a headstone which had been there for several years. The inscription had been cut on it, but the words were useless, for the stone had been in storage all that time. Curious, the friend asked why. The people who ordered it were not able to pay for it, came the rather terse answer. And it stays here until they bring the money. But what good is it doing here, the friend asked. No good, no good at all, replied the cutter, with still some anger in his voice. Well then, continued his friend, if those folks haven't been able to pay for it yet, it must be years, your chances of collecting are pretty slim. Did it ever occur to you that you might place that stone where it belongs? At least it will be doing some good. It just takes up valuable room here. That's poor business, was the irritated comment from the stonecutter. It's never poor business to be kind to people and to go out of your way to help people who are in trouble, 
Having said this, the friend walked out of the shop and was on his way. A month passed before he returned to the shop. He looked around the room. The stone was gone. Well, I see you got rid of that stone, he commented. Did they pay you for it? No, replied the stone cutter. But I placed the stone where it belongs anyhow. That's poor business, reminded his friend mockingly. I know it is, replied the stone cutter. But after your last visit here, my conscience started to torment me about it. I got to putting myself in that family's place. For I know that they haven't had the money to pay for it. Every time I came into this shop, that white stone haunted me like a ghost until finally I took it out and put it where it really belongs. And afterwards, when I found out how happy it made the family, I lost my head completely. How? Well, yesterday when they came in here to pay me for the stone, you know what I did? I refused the money. That's how foolish I'm getting to be. Foolish? I wondered, replied his friend. If you're committed, if you're committed to showing God's love to others by giving, God will give you everything. The definition of love is in M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, says, love that I think really hits the nail on the head is this. Love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own and another's spiritual growth. Love is something you do. You show love by giving. It's not just giving, it's not just sacrificing, it's everything that you and I do. We've got to get past the idea that love is a feeling. There are people in our lives that we have strong feelings for, and we call those feelings love, but without corresponding actions, those feelings mean very little. You say you have feelings of love for people. Show me a feeling. What does a feeling look like? Did anybody show me what a feeling looks like? I'm game. I'm ready. Anybody? Somebody? You can't. You can't. John tells us when it comes to expressing love, feelings and words aren't enough. We must show our love in action. It's something that we do. He said, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. Now, please, I told this story some years ago, but you might think it out of place, but please listen to it. 
This is a story of a man named John Griffith. John was the father of an eight-year-old boy during the 20s and the 30s, 1920s and 30s. John was very fortunate during those times because he had a job. John loved his son very much. He was the apple of his eye. John's son was a normal little boy who constantly wanted to go to work with his father. John decided he would take his boy to work with him one day. John was bridge conductor across the Mississippi River. John was in charge of raising and lowering the bridge so that boats could get through and trains could pass over. John's son was so amazed at the gears and all the things that went along with the father's job. They had brought their lunch to work with them that day and decided to eat their lunch on the bank of the river. John and his son was eating lunch, and John had realized that in about three minutes, the Memphis Bell carrying 300 passengers was getting ready to cross the bridge, but the bridge was not lowered. John didn't want to alarm his son, so he patted him on the shoulder and told him to sit right there, and he would be right back. John hustled up the stairs. He grabbed the lever to lower the bridge, and he had realized that somehow his son had climbed to the bridge and had fallen in between the gears of the bridge. John could hear the train coming, carrying the 300 passengers. In his mind, he started going over ways he could get his son from the gears and still lower the bridge, but he knew he had to make a choice. John lowered the bridge just in time for the train to pass, crushing his son in between the gears. John looked at the train passing by and saw a man reading his newspaper, a woman drinking her coffee, and another talking to his wife. John screamed at the top of his lungs, Hey, don't you know what I've just done for you? They didn't hear him, so he screamed again, Hey, don't you know what I've just done for you? But again, they just went along with their lives, not ever realizing what John had done for them. God is asking us the same question. Don't you know what I've done for you? I've sent my only son to this earth for you. He died a terrible death so that you could spend eternity with me. Why are you going on with your busy, meaningless life not serving me? And some of you have not even accepted me as your Lord and Savior. I love you so much. It's love. It's something that we do. It's something that's been modeled to us down through the ages of the Bible. Yet some of us still have not made that determination to cross over the line. We straddle it. We want to live on one side and the other. But God is wanting us to step fully over on the side that makes our commitment to serve Him. See, I'm not the one that came up with full salvation. He did. 
See, we say we know God, then if we know God, and those of you that are watching, if we know God, then he says you must be born again. However, we listen to, and I'm going to say it, Catholic doctrine, Lutheran doctrine, Methodist doctrine, Episcopalian doctrine. We listen to all sorts of doctrines. But we forget the only doctrine that we should listen to is within the Word of God. See, Baskin-Robbins of religion tells us all sorts of titles. Pentecostal, all sorts. But Christianity comes from the book of Acts. They were called Christians in Antioch. We heard an amazing sermon about that. See, Paul was a prosecutor. He was a deliverer of Christians before he was struck down on the road to Damascus. And so he sent people to prison. He maimed them. He crippled them. He was a butcher. And people, listen to this, the refuge city at that time was Antioch. That's where people fled to from Jerusalem. They fled to Antioch to get away from Paul. And then Paul had his Damascus experience. And God converted him through that experience. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. He says in Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than you all. He was a promoter of repentance, baptism by total immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sins and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He preached the gospel. Well, it says that he neither conferred with flesh and blood, but for three years he went to Arabia. Because he had to learn. He was an apostle born out of due season. And then, guess who called on him? Barnabas. Do you know why? They needed a helper in Antioch. Think about it. This is a refugee city where people fled from Paul. And now, Barnabas goes in search for an assistant pastor, and he comes back, and he's going to unveil it to the Antioch church. Can you imagine it? Here's the day they're waiting for their assistant pastor. And Barnabas says, I've brought him. I've brought him. And the people are waiting, and they're waiting, and all of a sudden he says, here he is, Saul of Tarsus. Can you imagine what those people went through? People that still bore the marks of his cruelty. People that had lost parents or lost loved ones, and he comes in. But do you know what the reaction was at the church of Antioch? They loved him. That's why they weren't first called Christians at Jerusalem. They were first called Christians at Antioch. It's something that we do. It's something that we do. Can you imagine what the talk was about the town of those that weren't in the church? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear that church that's down the street who they brought in? It's a guy that 
persecuted. It's the guy that crippled. It's the guy that maimed. And guess what? That drew people into the church. Why? Because it's something that you do. My last time as pastor here in this pulpit, I'll be around, but we've got to realize that we see it at games, for God so loved the world that he gave. We have to give, each and every one of us. Okay, I'm going to say some things that I've always wanted to say. I can't understand free thinkers. I can't understand people that don't listen to me as a pastor. But you know where that comes from? That comes from the world. See, submission is all about the kingdom of God, being submitted. Listening to those that have the rule over you. Put up for me in Hebrews 13 and 7. And then you're going to go to 17. Okay? But first, Hebrews 13 and 7, for those of you that are watching. Those of you that are free thinkers that think you can go anywhere you want. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow, follow the example of their faith. Now 17. Obey your spiritual leaders. It doesn't say think about it. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. Listen, there's a lot of preachers out there from a lot of different denominations and all they are is hirelings. They do it for a paycheck. Are you listening to me? And their denominations move them from place to place. Because they're hirelings. And I'm going to say it, and simple-minded people just keep following them to their destruction. You know what they said to Jesus? What about those Pharisees and the people that listened to them? He said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the pit together. Let me finish that verse. I didn't finish. They watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Keep that verse up there. Like I said, my wife has listened to all my musings, everything, because when people don't listen, and I know exactly where they're headed. I know exactly where they're headed. Some have education. Some have gone to college. They think they know better. They don't know anything about spiritual things. They don't. You can mop this up next week, Pastor. 
But I'm 66 years old and I've walked this way for 42 years and I've seen so many shipwrecks. People that think they know better. People that think they have it all together. They marry the wrong people. They do the wrong things as far as jobs are concerned. They move from this place to that place. I said last week, my wife and I like to garden. If I were to pull a plant and put it here and pull a plant and put it here and pull a plant, after a while that plant's going to go into complete shock and it's going to die. But the plants that do the best is when you plant them and they stay there and they grow and they develop roots. It's my musing today. Still up there? And this is why. Give them reason to do it with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be your benefit. Because then when I give an account before God, you don't understand this. I have to say not only what I did, but the response of people. It's going to be an incredible thing when you stand before God because you'll remember everything. I wish I had that ability right now. I know you're quiet right now, but you've got to understand. There are some things this next pastor will not say because he does not want to step on your toes. I'm leaving. I don't care. But I'm telling you, God loves you. Love him back by what you do, by what you do. Let me tell you, and this I'm going to end in probably about the next 10 minutes. I think you're quiet enough. It's not my intent to make you quiet. It's my intent to help you to be Christians and to live a prosperous and a very fulfilling and joyful life. My wife and I have found that over the years that if we do what God has asked us to do and we respect the authority that's placed over us, even in times of difficulty, God comes and helps us. But woe be to those people that do not because God lifts his hands and he says, you wanted it that way. You wanted it that way. So here are some things that I've learned. Please take it to heart. Because I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. You know the old saying, Mark Twain was 14, he thought his father was a fool and then he went away on the river came back at age 21 and he couldn't understand how smart his father had gotten in those years. What really had happened to him was he'd grown up. And again, may I say this? There are some of you that are older, you're still a kid. You act like a kid. God wants us to be spiritually mature and be the right type of people. Success in the spiritual enterprise is based on commitment. Success is based on commitment. 
Love and happiness are both emotions. Emotions are very fickle. When you have a deep sense of commitment, you are in it for the long haul, regardless of your feelings. The word feelings is only mentioned twice in the New Testament. But you have to count the word faith and how many times it's used in the New Testament. Because faith operates on commitment. Feelings operate on emotion. Here's the second thing I've learned. Experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. A lot of times there are things we want, but God says, nope, that's not what you're going to get. Because he wants you to have experience of life. Number three, you need to know where you want to go. Every man needs goals. Every woman needs goals. An ox cart is as useless to an individual as a rocket ship if you don't know where it wants to go. It's kind of like the Cheshire Cat. Remember the Cheshire Cat in Alice of Wonderland? Alice said when she came to a fork in the road, she said, which one should I take? The cat asked, where do you want to go? She said, I don't know. The cat said, then it doesn't make any difference. You've got to know where you're going. The fourth thing is, loyalty is productive. I have learned that you can't spread your loyalty out to too many people. I'm loyal to my wife. What kind of marriage would it be if I was loyal to other women? Same goes with a church. How many leaders are you going to be loyal to? How many voices are you going to listen to? Because you'll hear whatever you want. That's why people move. They want to hear what they want. But you've got to hear what you need. Here's another one. To be productive, I must be responsible. One author said, our background and circumstances may have influenced who we are, but we are responsible for who we will become. I've heard of people 40 and 50 years of age blame their background, their birth, their environment for what they have become, and that's so long. Those things may, be, may determine what you are, but what you become is your responsibility from this day forward. There's no excuses. Here's another one. Not all the old is out of date, nor is all the new acceptable. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which brings forth out of his treasures new things and old. You have to know what treasures you have and you've got to understand everything in the house is not a treasure. If it matters little, 
make little of the matter. With this kind of knowledge, you go into the house and know the treasures that are necessary to be brought forth. And so, we shouldn't hoard everything. We should know when to clean and when to cling. Here's another one that I learned. Cherish the treasures of the past. So what are they? The old things, no doubt, the message we have preached and we have heard are rich treasures. Don't cheapen those things or sell them. Buy the truth. Sell it not. So we're still in the book of Acts. We are still writing the book of Acts. And so we draw from the roots of the past. We keep those things near and dear, and we follow them. Some things that we have ahead of us that we're hearing, those things we need to carefully consider. And then there is no place where prayer can be eliminated. You have to have prayer. Prayer must be a part of your life. Carnality follows hard on the heels of prayerlessness. If you don't pray, your carnal life will take over. If you are too busy to pray, you are just too busy. Jesus left the multitudes to go to the mountain to pray. Pressures of the multitudes and everyday life will beckon us to come into his presence. The next thing is be secure with yourself. I'm not in competition with anybody. I don't want to be somebody else. I, I like who God made me. I love the life he gave me. And I don't, I don't want to be insecure by comparing myself with other people. The Bible says we should not compare ourselves amongst ourselves. So we should be secure with who we are and what God has given us. Amen. We should know how to be secure in when we have much or when we have little. Because God is there. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. I'm coming close to the end now. Respect is earned and not demanded. I wrestled with the fact years ago when we started this church on being called pastor. It was a hard thing for me. As a matter of fact, I went on a 40-day fast asking God to help me so that I could be worthy to be called pastor. And so you've got to understand you can't demand people to respect you. You've got to earn that respect by who you are. See, love, it's not a feeling. It's something we do. It's something we do. Truth never changes. Truth never changes. I learned that. Regardless of how people change, cultures change, theories change, truth remains. Not only does it remain, but it is narrow. 
2 times 2 still equals 4. I don't care how much they want to tell you new math is. Water still freezes at 32 degrees and boils at 212. There's no need to argue for any other way because those things are consistent. It's truth. And truth is narrow, but it's still true. And we have to follow it because it's the infallible word of God. Here's another thing I've learned. And bear with me and don't look at me cross-eyed. I've never been sorry for things I didn't say. Sometimes we just have to, just because you think it doesn't mean it's got to come out. You've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. A wise man once said that. The last two things, submission is a mandate of God. I just talked about that a little while ago. No one escapes its blessings or its judgment. Jesus submitted even to the cross. Abraham submitted to Mount Moriah. Moses submitted after leading them for 40 years to death on Mount Nebo without entering the promised land. Because he submitted, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Abraham is the father of the faithful. Moses is known as the giver of the law. And I worry about modern-day preachers who preach submission but they are really accountable to no one. I worry about saints. Hear me. I worry about saints who talk about the Bible, who talk about submission, but they're accountable to nobody. Does that make sense? Some of these are the things I've always wanted to say. Because I see a lot of things happening in people's lives that didn't have to happen. They didn't. But because they were accountable to no one but themselves, they got themselves into trouble. If you tell somebody what to do and you cross them, do you know what they do? They get angry with you or they move their toys to another sandbox. And the last thing, and then I'm done. The last thing. My wife is my best friend. My family is my dearest earthly treasure. I have learned that over the years. When I come home to my honey... I know I'm loved unconditionally. I know I'm loved unconditionally by God, but I know that this woman that sits in front of me loves me unconditionally. 
And I know that my children who are with me in this church love me also. And they are my greatest and my wife's greatest treasure, along with my grandchildren. See, these are things in life that I've learned. And I hope, I truly hope, because this started out with love, and it still is in the vein of love. I hope that you understand that. And I want the best for each and every one of your lives. But can I say this, and I don't say this in a flippant manner. When Tuesday comes, I am no longer in charge. I am no longer the shepherd, under-shepherd. I'll still pray, but I'm not in that position any longer. Another man will fill that boat. He will be the one that will guide you and lead you. I have prayed to God that I have done a good job over the years. I've asked God. Because I know when I stand before him, something you don't understand, and I've always told you this, I am going to have to give an account of everything I've ever said. And if you don't think that has kept me up over the years, it has. Because there have been some faux pas. There have been some things said at times out of anger. But it was all in love because I wanted God's best for everyone that sat under my teaching and preaching. You have all been great people. All of you, even those of you that are listening. You have all been great people over the years. There have been some people that have gone that I still think about, that we still think about and pray about. And we want all the people that we have ever come in contact with to be saved. To be saved. Because the alternative is horrible. It's horrible. So, the born-again experience is still the born-again experience. Faith in God, repentance, looking at God and turning in a 180-degree fashion and going in the opposite direction because you love God. Being baptized by total immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will, I can guarantee you, because it says you shall, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking other tongues. Because the promise is unto you, to your children, and all that are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now I do this with all respect. I'm going to turn the closing over to our next pastor. Pastor David Meyer, would you please come and close this session? Love you.
Thank you. We have been blessed for these past 26 years, don't you agree? Amen. I, uh, I remember the day, although it's a little fuzzy, I remember the day that my parents pulled us into their bedroom and sat us on their bed and broke the news to us that we were no longer going to the church that we had grown up in and that we were coming to New Berlin to launch a work. And I don't know if any of us realized at that time what God had in the store. And as they stepped out in faith and many dark nights, many sleepless nights, many times watching dad and mom go in the basement and pray, times where vacations were interrupted. And every time they were called away, they did it with joy and they did it with love in their heart. And so what he just talked about today, I've been privileged to watch. He's preached some of the finest sermons around the dinner table, times when we were playing basketball, times when he had 15 minutes to spare before his next Bible study, and he would go and hang out with me. And I think in this next season, as we come to this weird time where it's as if we're celebrating, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it kind of feels like we're celebrating a wedding and a funeral at the same time. It's okay to have mixed emotions. It's okay to, to mourn and to feel sad. And it's okay to feel maybe even a little apprehensive about the future. But I promise you that as we move into the future, God will continue to lead this church and guide it. Moses, Moses a lot of times was led by the rod of God. He dropped the rod of God and turned into a snake. He touched the Red Sea and it parted. He lifted the rod of God up and, and the Amalekites were killed. They were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when Joshua took over, there was no rod of God. It looked a little different. God told Joshua to go and have the people stand in the flowing Jordan, and he said, then it will part. He said, go and, and go into Jericho and, and actually be there and walk around, and then I'll give you victory. The leadership styles looked different, but I can confidently say that the voice that they heard was the same. And I promise you that as we move forward into the future of this church, I will continue to hear and seek and desire the voice of God to lead us and guide us into the future. And so as we close this, I, I ask that you would make this your prayer today. Jesus, as he was going away, prayed this prayer. Make them one, Father, as you are one. I want us to be one as we move into the future because everything we do going forward will be established on the foundation of what Pastor and Sister Meyer have laid foundation of Acts 238, the oneness of God, holiness. We're not changing any of that, but we're going to build upon it and see God do even greater things. So would you just come forward today and just pray that God would make us one as he is one as I close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you today. Thank you for the message that we've heard, God. Thank you for the leadership that has led us, Lord, these past 26 years. We, of all people, are extremely and totally blessed. And so I thank you, God, and I pray, Lord, today, God, that as we move forward, Lord Jesus, that we would move forward into even greater purpose, God. Lord, maybe we've come here today and we've sat on the fringe. Maybe we've wrestled with the complexities of a call that you have on our life. But God, I pray today, Lord, with all assurance, with all confidence, let us walk into this future knowing that you are with us, God. 
that you are the one who leads us. You are the one who guides us. You are the one who has a purpose and a plan for us. And so I thank you for your love, God. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. God, you are the one who has loved us, God. We love you because you first loved us. And so, God, I pray, Lord, let our love drive us, Lord, to reach, Lord, the lost. Let our love, Lord, for you drive us to live a holy and acceptable life. Lord, let us, our love drive us to be one, Father, as you are one. We thank you today, God, for what you have done. And we expect, God, even greater things to come in the future, Lord. Touch these great people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.